Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Come on, what a song. Yes, good. Lonnie Donegan, Chaz and Dave. Thank you to everyone who came to the show on Brighton, uh, in Brighton on Saturday. It was a fantastic evening uh, on a sad day. Because as you know, because it's been everywhere, rightly so, Chaz Hodges from Chaz and Dave uh, passed away and we paid... Well, we, I think we paid a fitting tribute in Brighton, didn't we, Catherine? I think it was beautiful. We had a right old Cockney knees up. We did. We ended both halves of the show with we we had song sheets printed. Kath did some some lists. Some uh, people come in, did, printed up some song sheets, and um, you know there was about seventy of us there. What was the we did uh, sideboard song? Yeah, and then no pleasing you mm-hmm. that you end the show, and I wasn't sure. Well, you know what the Brits are like. Oh. You know they're either. It was. A, I was worried it was going to be like you know shuffling the papers in <laughs> church when there's three people singing and everyone else is miming. But no, <laughs> it was mental. It was brilliant. Thank you to everyone who came and took part. You might have seen it on Periscope. It was nuts. People were shouting it out, climbing on the chairs. I think I saw a drunk woman get, getting on someone's back. <laughs> it was a knees up in a room above a boozer. In Brighton, and I can't think of any more thi- anything more fitting. I interviewed Chaz a while ago. We're going to play that a bit. We're going to play that tonight. We'll play the f- two halves because it was quite long. Um, so we'll play the first half before 11 and we'll play the second half after midnight. Um, and we genuinely love Chaz and Dave on this show. And I know a lot of you were really upset by it. And I'm kind of... It's affected me slightly different because I'd met him a couple of times because he was um, the dad of my friend, now your friend as well, Catherine Kate, uh, Kate Garner, and the father-in-law of a good friend of mine who I've worked with for 20 years, Paul Garner. Um, and I'm I'm pleased to say, although not under the circumstances, we've got Paul on the line. Hello, Paul. Hello, Ian. This is not how I wanted you to be on my show, but we're here <laughs> and and this is it. How, um, for, well, first things first, how's Joan doing? Chaz's missus. Joan is, well, as you can imagine, she's, heartbroken and um she's incredibly strong woman so she's um you know she's she's worrying about everyone else more than herself checking everyone else is okay but um no she's amazing and um 
you know, they both, Chaz and her, were the perfect marriage, really. They yeah. they were together for how many years? Six? Fifty? Fifty-seven. Fifty-seven wow. years ago. Flipping so, uh, that's pretty good going. So, yeah, no, she's amazing. And, yeah, which is there. We're, we're there and trying to help her through this. Um. Uh, when did can, can I ask you? When did you realise you were you were courting Chaz's daughter? I've not asked you this before. What was the moment? Where, did, was there a moment you said, "Look, I've got to tell you who my dad is"? Yeah, it was when I, I asked why she had a beard and a hat <laughs> <laughs> and some braces. <laughs> Silly sod. Uh, uh, no, um, do you know what? Uh, she sent me a tape when I was doing local radio, Ian. And <laughs> she sent me a tape um, when I was on Chilton Radio. The yeah. Hot FM. Yeah, God, you've still got it, man. I used to listen to the Hot I FM. Got it. I, don't know, I don't know if it's appropriate to, for you to use this interview as an audition piece, Paul. Blimey. Not available in Northern Ireland. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, and she sent me a tape of her songs, which I thought were sensational. And... I went to see her to a gig. Yeah, all right, let's leave that now. Okay, sorry. I went to to see her do a gig uh, in a a pub in North London, and she was amazing. And there was a very uh, recognisable man amongst the crowd um, who was uh, Chaz from Chaz and Dave. So um, it was kind of like that. And so I sort of knew her dad way before I knew her because I went and bought a couple of Chaz and Dave singles when I was 11, 12, 13. And so I had them in my oh. collection. So that was kind of weird to, to know somebody, uh, uh, you know, somebody you're going out with, their dad, sort of 25 years before you knew them. What was, what so, were the, what was the, what were the singles that you bought? The singles I bought, uh, rabbit. Yeah. And I bought the sideboard song. Uh, it was that was that a single or was that on the other side of Rabbit? I can't remember. Um, but yeah, I got an "Ain't No Pleasing You." Yeah, that's so a song, man. That, that they are timeless, aren't they? Well, this is the thing; they are timeless. And you know, I guess there was a period when the when the cool people or people trying to be cool were kind of not Chaz and Dave. But I think I think that they're seriously they're one of those groups where eventually. Everyone says, actually, yeah, I think they're really good. And I said this when I chatted to him. I, I, I think at their best, their, their songs are up there with, with Ray Davis in terms of capturing a certain, a particular aspect of Englishness. Well, I think, I think you're absolutely right because they never wavered from what they thought was uh, the, the right way to go. They, they 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 deliberately chose to do rock and roll music in their own accents when everyone else around them was doing it in American accents. Yeah, that was that was the kind of genesis of Chaz and Dave, and and they did earn their right to decide what they were going to do because for years both of them had been top session musicians. They yeah. played Chaz Chaz started out as a bass player and played on I mean so many hit records. He was the session bass player for Joe Meek. And he was mm. the bass player for Jerry Lee Lewis. Uh, Dave played bass with many people, including including Willie Nelson. <laughs> Did he? Uh, yeah, wow. and uh, John, and Johnny Halliday for our French <laughs> listeners. So um, these are two very 
seasoned yeah. musicians who had a love of those old musical style songs that they grew up with. Kate, uh, Chazzy's um, mum, Daisy, was a pub pianist in North London, played all the pubs, and she taught him all those amazing old songs uh, that Kate, my wife, now plays. Yeah. And it came from an honest place. They it, they started this because they loved music, and it just happened to become something that they earn huge respect and, and, and a living from. But it started because they wanted to play music, yeah. not because they wanted to be pop stars or anything like that. Oh, they were the most unlikely-looking pop stars in the 80s, seeing them on top of the pops and stuff. You know, you got all your trendy bands, then you got two, two who, who seemed at the time old, probably younger than I am now, two old geezers with beards and hats and braces, you know, <laughs> sat with a piano and a bass and a, a drum kit. What a weird setup that is. And they just, you know, they've never fitted in, but that's kind of their charm, isn't it? Yeah, but that's... That's exactly what happens, you see, because they, the way they looked back then is pretty trendy now. I mean, (laughs) Chaz would be be amazed at it. You know, I mean, it's kind of, it's hipster, isn't it? (laughs) It's beards and braces and and big boots. And uh, they did it because that's, that's what they had lying around the house. (laughs) I tell you what's good as well is their songs are full of humour. And I remember when I found um, uh, ages ago, the song, don't anyone speak English anymore? And you, you, you approach a title like that thinking, oh, my God, what have they done? But instead, it's a really funny, clever song about everyone using Americanisms. It's so funny. Well, they are folk songs. They are, yeah. they are uniquely English folk songs and British folk songs, if you like, um, that have a universal appeal. And... That, <laughs> As I say, it started because they wanted to sing about the things they know. It's all about people they've met and seen and family. And so it comes, you cannot, you cannot manufacture that, that type of thing. It has to come from an honest place. And I think for me, right, like you, Ian, I'm in a creative industry. I'm a comedy writer, television comedy writer. So finding something that's unique to you, something that's original that nobody else has done, is so difficult. Mm. I mean, we, we you know we we know a few people that we've worked with together who've done that, and they've found a way through. They've found a thing that they didn't care whether anyone else got it or not. They were going to do it, whatever, because they loved it. And I think the more people in creative industries that can learn from Chaz and Dave that if you're just honest about what you do, don't go chasing a fashion because if you by the time you've got there, it's going to be gone and you're going to look stupid. Just just do what you genuinely believe in and even if it takes 10 times longer you're always gonna appreciate it more in the long run it was great you very kindly invited me and kath along to see them at the royal albert hall when was that march february march something like that and um april eight, was it april god blimey yeah um april something. what a show that i mean you're right that was that was a proper Cockney knees up. It, 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 London Girls was when it all kicked off. And we were up dancing with the, the random people next to us. The whole Albert Hall, didn't it, Kat? It was hilarious. I've never been to the Royal Albert Hall before. I've only seen it like on telly with posh um, like orchestras playing. Yeah. But that night, flipping heck, yeah, I ended up down the other end of the aisle. I got flipped down the end. <laughs> it was a great night.
you know, I'm surprised they let you in, Kat. <laughs> London girls. I know. You know I kept quiet. What are you doing there? <laughs> I was observing. He um, and we, we 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 luckily got you know to to mm. just have a brief little chat with him afterwards. He seemed uh, absolutely thrilled with the response that they got that night. That was magic, wasn't well, it? Well, you would. Well, you know what? You know he put all his heart and soul into that gig and mm. you know arranged all the string arrangements and the brass section that were there wow. i mean whenever he did anything he did it right and he was always very proud of that that he did it properly you know and that went from anything from making a cup of tea to, to mending clocks he started out as an apprentice clock maker and mender before he became he uh, really? successful musician. Absolutely. And, wow. <clears throat> excuse me. That's excuse me. Only, uh, only, two, only two weeks ago, he was mending my Uncle Bob's clock that was left <laughs> to me. That, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that hadn't worked for ages. And he was an absolute craftsman. And, and he knew, you know, so much about so many things. He, he came from that generation where you, you had to learn a trade. Mm. You had to have something. You couldn't just you know, go out with a bunch of O-levels or GCSEs. You had to have something. Yeah. And there was no, there was never a spare moment in his life. It's like, he would always either be reading something, listening to, he listened to the radio a lot. Big old gardener as well. He, he, he wrote a gardening yeah. book, didn't he? He has an allotment that he, uh, you know, has had for many years that he, he wrote a book all about keeping an allotment and gardening and he's an absolute expert on that. But just going back to the Albert Hall, mm. as as you and Kath were there, you you would have seen that, you know, however many thousands of people there, it was people that from all ages, mm. from all kind of demographics, all different backgrounds. And that was the uniting kind of feature of Chaz and Day's music. You know, they came from a working class background and they, they sang about the people they knew, and the people they loved and the things they loved. And it was such a passionate, honest approach to music and songwriting and that that's what that's what appeals that's what hits a note with anybody you know all different types of people this is um one of those passings it feels weird talking to you about this because it's you know it's your, your father-in-law and obviously i know kate but this is one of those passings that has hit people that i think generally are not affected by a celebrity passing my mate Scott, um, who I think looks like Dave, but my mate Scott was in pieces at the weekend. And my sister sent me a tweet, uh, sent me a, a WhatsApp message saying, this is really sad. It feels like the end of an era. And it, it, there was so much love for those two. Well, do you know why I think it is Ian as well? Is that with everything at the pace of change is so fast now in the digital world we live in, and nothing stays the same for long. And it's really comforting when something stays through the generations, like your mum used to listen to it or your grandmother yeah. used to listen to it. And Chaz and Dave were one of the few things left that didn't change. Mm. They were always who they were. They never changed their fashion. They never changed their attitude. They were completely dedicated to it. And... You left a room or left a theatre or a show in a much better mood than mm. when you went in. And that is such an incredibly powerful thing. It's such an enormous talent to, to go into a room of any size and make people feel like you're their friend. How are you doing, Paul? You all right? 
Yeah, I'm all right, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm all right. I, I, <laughs> I tried when I heard the news. I tried. I phoned up to try and you know just offer support, and then I, I got all tongue-tied on the phone. And I've you know I've been worried about you well, and no. the boy and Kate all weekend. To, to and... be honest, you, you, that that Ian was because you rang me literally. I think a few minutes after the press release went out, right. and I, I was just taking my son back from a football match, and I hadn't. We hadn't told him about his right. Okay. Because right. We right. didn't want to, you know. For various reasons, we yeah, 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 to have a, a nice morning, and so I was stood outside the car, slightly kind of tongue-tied myself, yeah. thinking, okay. "I can't tell you anything yet, but I will." Okay, well, listen, man. Um, lots of love to all your family. You, you, I've got, you know, you're welcome around. You're all welcome around to my new house anytime. Um, we're going to play uh, in two parts tonight the interview that I did with Chaz. So, um, yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna send him. We set we sent him a bit on his way on Saturday. It was a lovely old knees up we had. A lot of people shouting and singing Chaz and Dave songs. So much laughter as well. Oh, it was great. great. It was really, really good. Um, yeah, that's the spirit of the knees up, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> so powerful. <laughs> oh, yeah, Paul. It's a, it's lots a of love, powerful lo- thing. Lots of love to everyone, and I will, I'll will speak to you in the week. Thanks, Ian. Love Thank you, Kath. See you. Take care. Ta-ta. That's See Paul Garner. Um, he's he worked with him on the 11 o'clock show, and uh, he's um, Chaz's son-in-law. James, how are we going to do this? Do we want to play the ads now? Then go into it. We'll play the ads. All right, we'll play the ads now. You go and say goodbye to Paul for us, please, Catherine. Uh, and then when we come back, we'll play the first half of the chat that I got to do with Chaz in Paul's house, um, as it was. This is the late night alternative with Ian Lee and Catherine Boyle. We're celebrating the magic of Chaz Hodges, who passed away at the weekend, and giving him the salute and the tip of the trilby that he so deserves. This is Talk Radio. Experience the unconventional, Evening, boys. the unpredictable, and the completely unorthodox exactly. with rule-free Ian Lee. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee. I've got no internet for the last four days. On Talk Radio. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. 
Hello, I'm Jamie East. Now, as well as being on talk radio every afternoon between 1 and 4pm, I've just started a brand new podcast that I wanted to tell you about. It's called Talk Film. We've got interviews with the big stars like Martin Freeman, Tandy Newton, Josh Brolin, loads of them. And also all of the reviews of the week's big releases. There's a new episode every Thursday, available through Apple Podcasts and your favourite podcast app. Just search for Talk Film and give it a whirl. If you like it, please hit that subscribe button. Tales of mystery and imagination on the radio show that does things differently. Dolly Parton, I listen to a record that they love. The Late Night Alternative with Ian Lee. I'm a nutjob, but not that kind of nutjob. On Talk Radio. Honest to God, it's the new Breaking Bad. Oh no! So, I am in sunny Stevenage, just getting my um, stuff out of the car. Here to interview Chaz Hodges from Chaz and Dave. Um, I'm mates with his son-in-law, Paul Garner, who used to write on the 11 o'clock show. I've brought my ukulele in case, quotes, a right old knees up ensues. Um, I'm quite nervous about this. I've met Chaz before, a couple of times, very briefly. Um, But he's an actual legend. Um, So... uh, yeah, let's see how this goes. Now, Paul's had a bit of work done to his house and I don't quite know how I'm supposed to get in. I think this is it. There we go. I'm early. Mr. Garner! You're like a musical Roger Cook. <laughs> How you doing, man? You're all right. Yeah, good. Do you want to sit? Well, if Chaz can sit on the piano stool. Chaz can sit wherever he's comfortable. Well, I'm, I'm, I can move and... Can we call all this sound like, sound like a... Proper muso. Yeah. We're tuning up now. <laughs> How good is that thing? Is, is it like a proper yeah, yeah, yeah. round sound? Oh, I could, I, I could do it. In, it's not in stereo at the moment, but you could do it in stereo. You've got um, six tracks. Yeah. You can mix it live. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It takes any input. It's well worth getting. All, this, all the stuff we recorded in New York, we did it. We record the rabbit hole on this. Wow. How much of that? Is that yours? It's mine. About 320 quid. I think we can say like two grand. No, it's not, it's brilliant. To record the rabbit hole, we um Right, I'll let you get on with it. It's never my ukulele's never sounded so yeah, good. It's a good one. It's, it's a bit bigger than the normal. It's one. a nice one, yeah. It, yeah. I, I got it. There was a shop in East London. I think it might have closed now. The Duke of Uke, and they just used to sell. You know, they were like ukulele experts, yeah. and you'd go in, and it's don't know it. Don't, don't know that one. 
How you doing, man? Yeah, doing you're well. looking really well. Well, thank you very much. Um, can I ask how all, that, all that's going? Uh, sure, you can. Uh, all the treatments finished. Um, I went through uh, the chemo, which is, uh, if anybody's uh, you know sort of worried about chemo or radiotherapy, it, it's the chemo. Um, you're in there. Well, I did a, a course of. It was over nine weeks, but I did three lots of chemo every three weeks, yeah. and you're in there for like. Six or seven hours, with people go, what, you're in there six or seven But you sit there, once you're prepared for it, yeah. it's a real relaxing afternoon. I mean, they, they just put you on a drip and you just sit there, you've got nothing else to Did do. Did you have the cold cap? Because when my mum was getting her treatment, she had the cold cap. They they suggested I could have it if I wanted, but I thought, no, I'll, I will lose my ear anyway. Yeah. And as you can see, it's growing it's back now back. anyway. And it's gone back darker. <laughs> Look, it's, I mean, it wasn't as dark as that. Amazing, so, so maybe, it? maybe it's good for... You know, grey heads, well, getting rid of the grey hairs. This you know, be... you sort of, you, you know, all this, this sort of implant treatment. Have, a, have, a, uh... have they fixed you then? Are you fixed? Well, uh, yeah, he's, he's happy. He's, they've, uh, they, they've took photographs of the... Uh, the well, it, I'll start at the beginning. It was cancer of the esophagus. Yeah. Um, well, I'll tell you, I, I first found out. It was just before Christmas, and um, I was drinking a glass of water quite quick glugging it down I was on my way out and it wouldn't go down right it's strange water won't go down um, anyway I knew there was something wrong so I waited till after Christmas only like a couple of weeks I thought well, I'll get Christmas over and I said to Joan should go I said there's something ain't, ain't right there anyway we went they found out it was cancer of the esophagus cutting a long long story short he said you've called it early uh, we'll go for a course of uh, chemo and then radiotherapy uh, as I say, the chemo was great, and funny enough, um, all through, uh, almost all through my life, whenever you go to the doctor, whenever I go to the doctor, they take your blood pressure. Yeah. It's always a little bit high, and they go, "Oh, it's a little bit high." And I can't get used to it, right? Every time I've, I went to chemo three times, each time, all oh, your blood pressure is perfect. Now my theory is, I know I haven't got anything to do. I've got no phones to, to yeah, yeah. phone calls to receive. I'm. I'm going to sit there for six hours. I've got, I've got a book to read if I want. I've got my phone and got my earphones so I can get onto YouTube if I want. So it's like a real relaxed afternoon. So as I say, anybody who's going, going yeah. for it, it's easy. It's great. Radiotherapy, well, it was cancer of the esophagus. Uh, he said it's going to be a little bit sore after because they, they concentrate... Uh, the radiotherapy is the, the, the finer points. The, I've got a tiny little tattoo there. Look, oh, there we go, look. Is that right. what, what they aim it at? Yeah, it's a, like, a tiny dot right in the middle of my chest in yeah. the esophagus. So they they line me up. You're in there for, like, five minutes. I was there every day for... Uh, and it's only down... Was, uh, the hospital uh, is only half an hour away, so I was lucky it was just down the road. Um, every day... No, six days a week. No, five days a week. Um for how many three weeks I think it was might be four weeks anyway that was in and out but uh, he's right he was a bit sore after but it's it's almost not noticeable at all now and the last one was about a month ago Um, they're going to do a scan on me uh, in just over a week's time but I just I feel great. I can do everything. I can get round the allotments on my bike. And I can do a bit of digging. I can play the banjo. I can play the... It's amazing what they could do. My mum had breast cancer. She's not very well anyway. She's got MS, yeah. and she had the chemotherapy. And they said we're going to do the chemo so we can shrink the tumour, and then we're yeah. going to do a mastectomy and get rid of it. Yeah. And um, 
they did the chemo, and then there was a bit of argy-bargy because I wanted her to have it in a different hospital. So there was a bit of a delay, and she went into the hospital, and they prepped that she stayed there overnight, and I went in the next morning to be with her, and they prepped her, and they took her down, and she was off having her final little scam, and she was in there for ages, and the doctor came out and said... We can't find the tumour. We've been given the wrong information. The tumour isn't where it's so we can't operate on her today. And I kind of kicked off going, well, this yeah, is outrageous. Yeah. He said, she's going to have to cut, go for another scan, find the tumour and come back. She went for another scan and they said, it's gone. We've, it's gone. The chemotherapy has worked and has got rid of it. It's am- so it's amazing what they can do. And it's interesting yeah. what you say, because yeah. you hear the words chemotherapy. Yeah. And you think, oh, Jesus, this is going to be a nightmare. But... It's not as bad as people not, think it is, and it can work. It can yeah, get rid of it all. Yeah. Well, that's what the doctor said to me. They said about you can have a major operation, but he 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 didn't think that that was a good idea for me. So I go, I've really in the. I mean, the other advice I can give to anybody is do what the doctor yeah, tells yeah, you. Yeah. There's a lot of people that go, oh, you know, I got bored and I discharged myself from hospital. I can never understand that yeah. sort of thing. Once you're in hospital. They're the experts. I mean, when I first found out I had it, a lot of people up and said, oh, I bet you was devastated. Well, I wasn't. Um, initially, I was like, oh, blimey. I went, like, how long have I got then? He went, look, hang on a minute. Let's, let's talk <laughs> Slow about down. This. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we can do this, blah, blah, blah. And it was only for the, like, the first half an hour that I, I thought, uh, 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 but after that, I sort of, I was out of it. I mean, I, I, I don't wake up, I didn't ever wake up in the morning with like a, a black cloud over my head thinking, oh, I've got cancer. My feelings was, I've called it early, which I knew I did. Yeah. I mean, that's another thing, anybody listening, that if you get any symptoms of any kind that you ain't sure, get down that doctor's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It ain't the same as our mums and dads' times or their mums and dads where it was like It was cancer. a death sentence. It was. Do you remember it, people didn't used to say the word cancer? Know, they go, they he's got cancer. I know, was, you're, you're yeah, dead you never right. say it out loud. Yeah. I remember, uh, my, I mean, my granddad had cancer and he, he survived it, but I didn't know he had until... Years after, my mum said, oh, did you know Grandad had cancer? Yeah. I did. I remember going to see him in hospital. But not, you didn't but know I don't know what he had. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, you're dead right. Good. Well, I'm glad you're well and you look brilliant. Yeah, I feel great. I, 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 enough talking about that because I want to talk about music. Yeah. Um, how did you get started? What, 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 was, what were you doing as a boy that kind of got you into music? Right, I come from a, a musical family. Music was really important. And when I look back, uh, not a very well-off family, you know, with... Uh, with North London and and uh, well, my dad was from Acne, uh, so we're not Londoners, but but not very well off. And when I when I look back, uh, I think like if you could play an instrument, you, you could earn money. Yeah, you know anywhere. Uh, my mum, she she learned to play the piano when she was uh, about four or five. I learned all this, found out all this out after. Um, and my great grandfather, who I knew very well, and he was a. Uh, a clarinet player, uh, but I never saw him play clarinet. I think he was too, too. I think he sold it, and he had a penny whistle when I when I grew up. But uh, great musician, and um, he apparently used to take my mum out round the pubs when she was five years old to play the, the harmonium. Really, he would set it up outside the pubs on a Sunday oh, afternoon, fantastic. and he'd play the clarinet. And of course, like a little girl playing the piano, yeah. you know, with pretty blonde hair and all that, get loads of dough, and. Um, <laughs> As we uh, talked about that, the harmonium, I remember this harmonium when I was a kid, and I loved it. 
And I remember coming home. Uh, I was about. Is that 10. the one you got? You got squeeze squeeze it as you're playing it. Is that the harmonica? No, is it feet that, pedal? Uh, it's it's a, f- a foot pedal, right. and this one was a real uh, portable one. You you could pick it up like a Brilliant. a suitcase. Yeah. Uh, the sides folded in, and it had bellows when you, un- you unfolded it. But I remember it when I was a kid. I remember coming home one afternoon and. Uh, I said to me, Nan, where's the harmonium gone? Where have you put it? He said, oh, I'll give it to the rag man. Oh, no. What would you do that for? He said, oh, it had an hole in it. Oh, no. Now, I, my theory was, I think she was, uh, as the years went on, she was feeling guilty about sending her little kid, her little daughter out to busk, and that yeah. harmonium was like, every time she looked at it, it was like... It reminded her. It reminded yeah. her. And that's my theory, because I couldn't figure out... Yeah. You know, I thought about that years later. Yeah. But uh, what was wrong in it? You know, my me, me great-grandfather looked after her well, and and they, they got they got food on the table. But that was when I first started playing... Um, well, I'll go before that. Uh, my mum, she dearly wanted uh, there to be a musician in the family, and yeah. uh, I remember thinking, she, oh, she... She ended up playing piano great. She brought us up playing the piano. She, uh, when my mum was... Did you have uh, a piano in the house? Yeah, yeah, we always had a piano there, yeah. Um, but when my mum... I mean, my dad died uh, when I was four, so we weren't very well off. So we were one-parent family. She married a couple of times, but that didn't work out. Um, but, yeah, playing the piano, put food on the table. Yeah. I knew when she was playing, like, over a weekend, she used to... Uh, when I was very, uh, young, about and where was she playing? She going pubs and stuff. And... Um, yeah, but the the best one that she had, she used to. There was a club. It's still there actually in Edmonton called the Edmonton Services Club. She used to play there Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, and right. with a little band. At a, 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 she was on piano, accordion, and a drummer, and oh. uh, that was a nice little gig for her. Oh, and yeah. I always knew on Monday. Uh, it'd be nice food on the table, a bit of ham and a bit of like you know special food yeah, that we yeah. didn't get all the week. So it was piano means so much to me. Not only is it a great great instrument to it, but it, it meant food exactly. Yeah. It it it, uh, it it fed fed us. And so did she teach you? Did, did, did or did you just kind of find yourself sitting at the piano as a kid and just working it out yourself? Uh, no, she the first. I remember her coming home. She was playing uh, the piano up at a pub in Edmonton, and there was um, a real renowned piano teacher from Edmonton, and I can't think of his name, but he taught um, uh, Mike Smith of the uh, Dave Clark Five, and I knew Mike pretty well, and he he was a really good piano player. Before I started, he he was playing piano. I was playing guitar and and bass. But he's a really good piano player, and I can't think of the bloke's name. Anyway, my mum was playing up the pub one Saturday afternoon. I was about... I was about nine or ten, I suppose. She came home and she went, oh, I've got some great news. He said, this this uh, piano teacher saw me playing and he said, I don't know what you're, you're playing, Daisy. He said, but you're, you're a really good piano player. There's nothing wrong. He said, uh, do you, do you uh, read music? He said, no, I'll play by ear. She said, well, he said, if you've got any kids, I'll teach them for nothing, for free. Wow. And she came home full of it and said, he'll teach you piano for free. And I went... What do I want to learn piano for? <laughs> I, I, I want to play football. I want to go fishing. Yeah. I want to play with the kids out in the street. Yeah. I mean, the kids that I knew that went to piano lessons, you go, oh, we're going to play football later on. You know, nah, I've got a piano lesson. Yeah. Oh, well, I know, it's all, all boring. So I didn't want to know. And I always think of that, you know, but my mum did end up seeing me play, play the piano many, many years later. But uh, my first interest in music was... Um, 
I remember listening to Lonnie Donegan yeah. on the uh, on the radio, and it was bring a little water, Sylvie. I loved the guitar strumming, and I said to me mum, I said I'd, I'd love to play the guitar, and she was so pleased. She said, Would you? She said, I'll get hold of one. Anyway, um, my me, me uncle Alf, he lived over in Acney. He had an old guitar that he he he'd had since the war time or before the war. And uh, I've still got it now, actually. It's, it's a, in a bit of a state, but I've still got that little guitar. Wow. he done it up, and uh, I went over to Acne and uh, picked it up, and uh, I started... There was nobody around in those I'm, days. I'm, just, I'm reading the brilliant book about Skiffle by yeah. Billy Bragg. Yeah. And... Because Skiffle is often, I think, overlooked. Uh, this is the argument that Billy makes. It goes from, you know, the crooners to the Beatles, yeah. and yeah. the, the Skiffle yeah. goes... Up. And... Before, you know, kind of Lonnie Donegan and Ken Collier, and before that, there was nobody playing the guitar. Yeah. The guitar was always in the background somewhere. To have someone at the front stood up and strumming yeah. was a revelation, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, there weren't... Uh, I can't remember seeing... I mean, all our... Uh, I like my uncle Alf. Well, I've got his banjo here. Yeah. They all had banjos and ukuleles yeah. up in the loft, but no guitars. I mean, that all come from the Americans. Yeah. You know, you saw pictures of them, but... Uh, and this is... The skiffle was before rock and roll mm. uh, when Lonnie come out and I mean he, he really all us lot over here I mean a lot of Americans most Americans have never heard of skiffle yeah. although it came from them really directly uh, from the skiffle parties uh, in the early 20s apparently but we took it up and we commercialised it but it was a great thing to, to get you going I mean there were so many skiffle groups. There yeah. was a skiffle group like down every street almost in those days. It's almost like the original punk when yeah. people, kids thought, hang on, that stuff on records, we can do that. Exactly, and I think that's very important. I mentioned that in my book. There is certain times music comes out like that, like punk, punk uh, and skiffle, uh, and my feelings are similar to Bob Dylan. Now, a lot of people are shouting, what are you talking about? But when... The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. I remember walking through Hyde Park, and was all blokes were strumming it and sounding better than him, singing to their girlfriends. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, straight out the end, and they go, oh, that's love, that's better than Bob, that is, you know. <laughs> and that was the same sort of thing. To me, yeah. it was skiffle. Yeah. Um, I mean, he got it off of uh, Woody Guthrie, yeah. so where Lonnie did. But, yeah, I mean, people like, like me, like Albert Lee, the... Uh, Eric Clapton, Mark Knopfler, they all started off in skiffle groups. Yeah, yeah. And they, then the, the the best of them went on. You know, the, I mean, most of them, like my, I did in my skiffle group, uh, it, when rock and roll come out, I thought, I can do that in, in, with, with the guitars, you know. Yeah. So, uh, Saturday night, no, just got paid, all strumming away on the guitars, but it sounded all right. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah and then... We was into rock and roll. And when did you... Do you remember the, your, your first paid gig when uh, you did a show and someone gave you a few quid afterwards? Yeah, I do very well. Um, it was a, a hall over the top of a pub in Edmonton called the Britannia, and I think the pub's still there. Right. And uh, in the skiffle group, and I can remember playing at the most fantastic night of my life, doing Bring Little Water, Silver, you know, and Pick a Bale of Cotton, strumming away. Yeah, yeah. And the crowd was all dancing and, like, cheering. And at the end of the night, uh, the the leader of the band come over and he gave me a pound note. I'm, what's that for? Wow. He went, oh, that's for tonight's gig. What? And that really went ding yeah. in my head. I thought, this is the life for me. But doing the best thing that I could ever dream of doing yeah. and getting paid for it. 
and that's what I'm still doing. <laughs> uh, when I said I was going to interview you, uh, I've had about five people say, you've got to ask him about working with Joe Meek. Yeah. What was, what was that like? Joe, I learnt so much from Joe. Um, it was my very first recording. No, it wasn't. It was the first professional recording session. Um, I was playing bass guitar then. Um, I got bass guitar in 1959, and uh, I joined a band called uh, Billy Gray and the Stormers. Right. Uh, and once I got a bass, uh, I mean, it was a brand-new instrument. I was the first one in North London to have an electric bass. Yeah. Every band wanted me, you know, can you do a gig with me? I was like earning a fortune. It's weird to think, uh, electric guitars and electric basses, they've not been around forever. It's, it's no. a, there are 50s inventions, and before that it would have been the stand-up bass, of course. That's dead right, yeah, which I do love, the stand-up yeah. bass. But um, bass guitar, if you if you knew a little bit on guitar, it weren't too much of a step to go on to bass guitar. And uh, I love the sound of it anyway. Yeah. Uh, and when I, I, I still was playing guitar, but... Uh, bass guitar I was playing in, in the band and um, Billy Graham and the Stormers I joined in 1959 on bass uh, we went to Butlins for three months in 1960 which to me was like absolute heaven just getting £20 a week each which was a lot of money yeah, in 1960 yeah. and uh, planned you know doing what I wanted to do came back from there the band split up and I got a knock on the door from somebody I'd met and um, he said uh want to get the band back together again to back somebody who's who's got an audition with Joe Meek and never knew what Joe Meek was so who, who is he he said well, he's an independent uh, producer he's an engineer he's had a couple of hits he said anyway he said have a listen to this tape and I thought it was Buddy Ollie and I love Buddy Ollie <laughs> and it just sounded just like him he was Mike Berry oh right yeah yeah so uh, yeah, the band was formed and we became Mike Berry and the Outlaws. We auditioned at uh, Joe Meeks. He loved the band. And uh, we we became his house band for a good three years, really? the Outlaws, yeah. And where was was this when he was doing it in his house? Yeah, in Holloway Road. And yeah. so everyone was in... Is this true? Everyone was in, like, a different room while it was going um, on? Well, uh, it was a room about... This size we're sitting in now, about, I don't know, about 20 by 15, something like that. Yeah. Uh, that's where all the band would be set up. Right. You'd have the drums in one corner and he would put blankets over it to sort of mask and wow. blankets in the bass drum. And But he used to put at least uh, two or three mics, if not four, on, on the drums, which was unheard of in yeah. those days. He would mic up the snare, mic up the tom-toms, mic up the bass drum. Uh, so the, the drums would be in the corner because that's got m- the most spill. Uh, but we'd all sit in the same room. I'd have, I would sit by the door to the next room, which would have been the kitchen where <laughs> Joe's got his tape recorders. <laughs> so I would sit there with the door wow. half open. He would plug my bass. He would DI, direct inject my bass. Yeah. So I didn't have to have an amplifier, which would spill onto everybody else's yeah. microphones in the studio. So I was listening to my bass through the through the booth, you know, but audibly, not with yeah, headphones, yeah. and uh, it worked it worked very well. And some of the, re- I mean, he did go over the top on some of the recordings, uh, but some of his best ones, the quality was amazing, and, and some of the things that uh, he did, and his editing ideas, I'd, I'd heard the word editing, but I didn't know what it was. Yeah. I, um, I can remember we did um, an instrumental which didn't do bad uh, with the Outlaws. 
and it was uh, called Swing in Low. It was like a version of Swing Low, Sweet Chariot. Down, 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 down. Anyway, we did this uh, recording of it. Uh, we did about seven or eight takes. And on each take, uh, we all had a little piece. I had a little bass solo, and a drummer had a little drum and solo, guitar player had a little, and, and so on. But each time, take one, I do, did a great bass bit and the drummer fluffed his or didn't do it so good on take two great one for the drummer not so good on me and I remember saying to Joe at the end uh, I said isn't this shame we can't get all the best bits in the same take he went don't worry about that he said I'll sort it and I thought I really didn't know what he was talking about I thought I I won't go into it I just anyway when we came back the week after to play it I thought the man was a a, a magician yeah he'd actually cut out the best bass bit from take one, cut out the best drum bit from take three, the best guitar bit from take four, and put them all into one. And I... And it seems obvious now. With oh, you, no. you can punch in, you can you, multi-tracks. But he was a genius, I yeah. think. You know, he was he was the British Phil Spector. Uh, uh, that stuff was unheard of. Yeah. And I the mean, reverb he used to use as well. Exactly. I mean, I didn't realise till years later, like, actual tape... Hadn't been in, I think it was just after the war. Right. So we're talking about 1960, so it weren't that long after the war, really. Yeah. I don't know, 15 years, something like that. Uh, I mean, so tape was still quite a new medium for recording. Yeah. And actually cutting bits of tape, I don't know if I first thought of that. And, but I just thought it was, I couldn't wait to do it myself, so I had a little uh, Grundig tape recorder. Oh, did home. you? So I was quickly cutting it up and, like, you know, I, I learnt very quickly. And I love editing now, I love it. I mean, yeah. I do it digit, uh, digitally I was say, have, you, have you kind of embraced all of the, the computer stuff where yeah, you can just um, move stuff I've around? Got, um, I don't get on the computer to do it, but I've got a 24-track uh, TAC digital that wow. I bought about four or five years ago, which are amazing. It's about 500 quid, you know, it's got everything yeah, on it. Yeah. I mean, Joe Meek would have just gone... Well, it would be... He'd, he would overdub to infinity. He really would. You know, you say, ring him up. Sorry, I'm just doing overdub one million. And, and, you know. He would. He would never stop overdubbing. He probably is up there somewhere overdubbing. <laughs> on but uh, amazing machines. How did you, um, how did you and Dave meet up? Um, I was uh, in the, the Outlaws. Um, we're going on to 1963 now. I had two or three guitar players and... Uh, Mike Berry went his own way, and we were doing pretty good as yeah. a, a band on our own. We were getting gigs and, you know, making two or three gigs a week. And Richie Blackmore joined us. We got we nicked oh, him wow. off. We nicked him off of uh, Screaming Lord Such. Yeah, yeah. When we started earning a few, Bob, one or two, uh, not uh, uh, great amounts of money, but like two or three hundred quid from Joe Meek, we'd get up there now and again. Uh, and he said, oh, we've got some royalties come through. And um, anyway, we offered uh, uh, Richie Blackmore the job and he came down to Joe Meeks. And he said after, he said, what impressed me, we didn't do it on purpose, but we could have done it, it could have been a good ruse. He said, at the end of it, I'll rehearse with you. And uh, we went, yeah, great. And he he was like, yeah, that's good. Uh, Joe Meek came in, oh, no, a guitar player came in. He said, oh, I've got some royalties for you, like 100 quid each. And he said, that's what really swayed me. So I like the band, he said... And they're earning money, you know, <laughs> which is what we all wanted to do. So uh, he joined us, and uh, we were uh, quite a band to be reckoned with for a while. Yeah. And um, 
I remember um, we used to read Melody Maker and NME a lot in those days, and uh, I think it was Ken, the guitar player, he said, hey, he said, there's uh, an advert in the paper. Um, Don Arden said, Gene Vincent's coming over and he needs a backing band, and we love Gene Vincent rock and roll. But they also do your own spot and, and back Gene Vincent, great. So uh, we rang up and Don Arden came down I remember we uh, rehearsed in a co-op hall in uh, Hornsey and he came down with his cigar, a bit like Al Capone come through the door. Now, Don Arden is um, Sharon Osborne's dad. Is he the fella as well that hung someone out of the window by his feet? Apparently, I've heard this story. I don't doubt it, but I can't verify it because I I weren't there at the time. But he was a tough nut. He was a tough nut. He he really was. I mean... uh, when we had, we eventually um, backed Gene Vincent. Wow. Uh, wow. And that was absolutely fantastic. Gene, um, when he was, he could be, he could be a bit of uh, a bit of a moaner, a little bit depressive, well, a lot depressive. But yeah. when he was good, he was fantastic. Oh, yeah. He was really yeah. good. But uh, I remember, uh, we've gone on to Don Arden now. I remember... Um, uh, Gene Vincent, after we'd been backing him a couple of months, he said, Chairs, he said, uh, I'm going to uh, Geneva, can't take the band. Uh, will you come with me as uh, my musical arranger? I went, yeah. He said, you get paid good money? Yeah, OK. He said, uh, uh, can you be at my house? Uh, he, he lived in a muse in London. Yeah. Uh, uh, he said, stay there, we got to leave at... Uh, Six o'clock in the morning. I said, yeah, OK, yeah, great. Anyway, I went there, stayed there, and I didn't have a suit. I remember, um, and he was, I was taller than him, he said, you got to have a suit. I said, I ain't got a suit, I ain't got a jean. Try one, and I tried one of his suits on. <laughs> and I remember it was a bit like Norman Wisdom, a little bit short on the, the legs and the, the coat. But I got this, I made it sort of look reasonable, so I got my suit, and... Um, I remember he, we we was up all night, like just jawing and talking. Talk, he was talking about that. Yeah, you know, I loved it. Talking about his wow. old days in on the road in, yeah. in in America, and I remember his missus kept coming up and giving him and bollocking him. So go on and get to bed. I thought this is Gene Vincent. You can't, <laughs> you know. Anyway, I remember he woke me up. Uh, he woke me up about six o'clock in the morning with a bottle of light. Oh, here, Chas, is that? I would, I, no, can I have a cup of tea instead. <laughs> uh, anyway. Got my stuff ready. Next minute, bang on the door, the loudest bang you've ever heard, and with the loudest voice you've ever heard, because he could shout that, like Don Arden, Gene, come on, we're late, let's go. And come in, and I'm stood there with my case, and Gene Vincent's got up, and he didn't even look at me, yeah. uh, Don Arden. He went, who's he? Wow. And Gene said, well, I just thought, Dan, uh, uh, we've got an old band, uh, I'll bring chairs and, and chairs. Nobody's coming with you. Oh, no. It's all laid on, the band's laid on, come on, the taxi's waiting, out. Oh, no. And Gene Vincent just didn't even look at me, walked out the door. I'm left there in the middle of some muse in London with a, in a Norman Wisdom <laughs> suit and a, and, a, and a suitcase. Off they've gone. That was, that was it. That was oh, the end of no. it. <laughs> I still ended up back in G, and he said, "I'm sorry, chairs. I, I can't. You know, I was done." And but that's what Don, Don Arden was like. But yeah, your original question, yeah, which I've gone right ago. off of it. How did you get together, meet you and Dave? Well, 
uh, before we backed Gene, uh, Don Arden said, yes, he, he, I'm going forward now. Yeah. Uh, he said, yes, Gene does need a backing band. He's on this tour, but uh, Jerry Lee Lewis is on it as well. But you can back Jerry Lee or Gene. So we went, Jerry Lee, please. You know, so we, we backed Jerry Lee. I mean, my hero, yeah. Jerry Lee. So that was my chance to get on the road with him and uh, just watch him every night, and that's when I really came on good. I was learning the piano then, even though I was playing the bass guitar from from me living. Um, what was Jerry Lee like? Did you get to speak great. too much? Yeah, yeah. We he, he he was you could really talk to him in those days. I mean, we toured we toured Britain with him, then we toured Germany. Uh, I was in Germany a couple of weeks, as I remember. I mean, one one time in in Berlin, we did six gigs yeah. in one day, the wow. most gigs we've ever done. I mean, loading all our own stuff yeah. in, uh, and he was grabbing cash wherever he went. A lot of army bases, of course. We started at two o'clock in the afternoon. I think we finished about two o'clock in the morning. Uh, but you could talk to Jerry Lee, and I had loads of questions I wanted to ask him. Be, you know, no one had ever spoken. But he used to come down. He was in Germany. You know, we'd come down to breakfast, sit around the table, have a coffee, and I, you know, things that I knew like um, "I'll Make It All Up to You," which one one of the songs that that he did. It was a B side, but I thought that's not him playing the piano for a start. It's in E flat, and he don't play in E flat, <laughs> and I. Th- that's one of the questions I asked him. No one else knew. I said, uh, "Don't sound like you on the piano." I said, "It's not really your key, from what I can figure out." He said, "No, it's not. It's Charlie Rich played the wow, piano on yeah. that." He said, uh, "I was a bit tired. It was the end of the night, and it was a Charlie Rich tune. I didn't want to learn it." And he said, "Do it." I just sang it, and he played the piano. So little questions like that. And he, he must great. have been thrilled that you picked up on something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You could. Um, I mean, he loved. He loved questions like that yeah. because he was so used to being asked questions, you know, so you married a 13-year-old girl. And yeah, all that. yeah. That's when he used to get wild and wanted to punch everybody, quite rightfully. But, yeah, I mean, I could talk to him uh, and he would welcome uh, questions like that, like I would, you know, when people ask about recording sessions like yeah. you're doing now about Joe Meek. I love talking about it because it was a, a great part of my life, a great, uh, a great learning curve, as they say. And, uh, Have we got to you meeting Dave yet? <laughs> <laughs> I will get to it, yeah. Yes. You can do a lot of editing on this if you want. Yeah, how did I meet Dave? Well, I was uh, on the road with Jerry Lee Lewis and one of the rare nights off, uh, I went round to my girlfriends and uh, Joan, who I'm married to now, and we yeah. got three lovely kids. Lovely and, Joan. Uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, she's delightful, yeah. 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 And uh, Nick plays drums for us, and Kate is a lovely musician. Anyway, but we were caught in then, and they always laugh the kids when I say, Caught in, Dad, was yeah, yeah. But oh, we, I, I still say caught in. Yeah, oh, I, I still say that. They it's think it's a right lot. It is, yeah. yeah. Anyway, we were caught in. And I remember I was family in lift home from her house, and the car pulled up, and it was an old mate uh, from school who was the first skiffle group uh, I didn't even have a name but the first skiffle group we started at school uh, Brian Juniper his name was I hadn't seen him for two or three years and he said oh yeah he said hey you're doing alright he said you're with uh, Jerry Lee you're on the road now and yes yeah I said fantastic he said I'm in a band now this is my bass player and it was Dave right and I was playing bass anyway he, they gave me a lift home in, uh, I lived in Edmonton and uh, I said come make a cup of tea which they did, and um, we started talking, and 
with Dave, we almost identically had the same taste in music. You we love, yeah, we love Jerry Lee. We love Big Bill Brooms. Yeah, I love Big Bill. Oh yeah, I love him. I love the, you know sort of his guitar shuffle and all that. Uh, but we also loved uh, old music hall stuff like Harry Champion, yeah. which yeah. our generation didn't really know much about, you know. But we loved it, you know. So so we just struck up a friendship. But we never thought of getting together because we were both bass players. Yeah. Uh, but we did get together, unbeknownst, uh, the first Chaz and Dave gigs were at parties because we'd turn up, someone invites us to a party. Yeah, we'd be there. Bring a, a party seven, the old big uh, <laughs> a pipkin of beer. And uh, if there, I mean, I was learning the piano there. If there was a piano there, I'd get on and do a whole lot of shaking, a couple of Jerry Lee things. But I'd have my guitar in a boot, David have a banjo, and we'd quite often, you know, play till dawn at whatever party, just me and him. Uh, so that was the first Chaz and Dave gigs. And what was the conversation when you went, you know what, this sounds all right, we should maybe t- formalise this a bit and do something with this? Well, it was only... Um, I, um, leaping on... Uh, I, I, I was in a band called Ed's Hands and Feet with Albert Lee. Yeah. Uh, we toured America, and I, I loved Albert's playing, uh, but I saw the band left a bit... To, Desired it was while I was in America that, um, and I'd known Dave for a good eight years by then. While I was in America, um, I'm singing in an American accent, which sort of seemed all right. I don't know why, but it seemed all right in England. If you're doing, you know, uh, you shake my nerves and you're out of my brain, you're doing the anything. Oh, he's doing a Jerry Lee number. Yeah. But when I was in America singing in an American accent, I thought I felt a fraud. I thought that. I'm singing to them. It's almost like I'm taking the Mickey out of them. You know, yeah. they're thinking I'm, you know, they they come old coming off and they're going. What part of the states do you come from? I said, Oh no, I'm English. <laughs> and that's when it really struck me. I thought I've got to start singing You're in not my being own accent. Yeah. yeah. And I started to try out a few things in America, sort of singing in my own accent. And it began. It won't. It didn't quite translate. I thought. Well, the next step is I've got to write my own songs with my own phrases, and then. My own accent will come through, come through naturally, and the more I thought about this in America, the more I became obsessed with it. And uh, I remember I got home and I thought, oh, Albert had decided to join the crickets. Uh, we were going to get a band together, but he decided to join the crickets, so that was fair enough. That's where he wanted to go. So I thought, well, me and Dave would be it would be a great thing for me and him to get together so I kept my fingers crossed I rang him up I said I've got this idea about writing songs and singing in my own accent and just bringing myself out I said and do you fancy coming along with me and doing a thing together like a duo thing and he said just so happens he said he just come back from America with a band called Mick Greenwood and he said, I really enjoyed the two. He said, but I'm not enjoying the band. Mm. He said, the timing was dead right. So, yeah, we, that's when we got together. He's a great bass. I play a little bit of bass, so I kind of keep an ear out for bass. And um, uh, I, I think Paul McCartney's a genius yeah. on the bass. Yeah. Carol Kay in America from yeah. the Wrecking Crew, even though she was very rude to me in an email, she's brilliant. But I've been watching loads of your videos recently. Yeah. And uh, I'm really watching Dave's Fingers. He's a brilliant bass player because he's yeah. doing that. He's doing that thing that McCartney does, that kind of melody bass. Yeah, he's yeah, not just doing yeah. the root notes. He's yeah. playing lovely little fiddly bits, going up to the top of there and little. T- yeah. He's a cracking player. Yeah, he has. And um, I like to think that both of us um, 
are getting better all the time because there's always something else you can do. That's why the, the act always stays fresh. There's always yeah. some little bit. It, it basically the same, but there's always some little bass note that he might put in. Yeah. I mean, I go back to the early days when Albert Lee, our favourite guitar player, and I'm still in touch with Albert a lot, uh, if he was around in the early days, he'd come and sit in with us, yeah. and which he would you know, in the early 70s. Oh, Albert's here, plug in, Albert. And uh, he, he could follow anything, Albert. You know, he didn't have to know the songs. He would play them like he's known them all his life. And um, I remember in the very early 70s, he he was around quite a lot. Then he then he moved to America, and we didn't see him for a while. Um, he came back uh, about two years, three years later, and uh, he sat in with us, and he went, I can't find any holes to fit <laughs> wow. the guitar plate. You wow, know, what a compliment. Over that yeah. period, you know, if there's a little gap, either I'd fill in. Yeah. We never rehearsed it, but Dave would suss that as Chaz does a little bit there and did a little bit, and, but I'm not doing a bit in somewhere else in another song. So Dave would do a little bass bit and that's how it happened. Yeah. All the holes got nicely yeah. filled up. And Albert said, I can't find no holes. What was the, was the first song, whether, whether it was live or you heard it in playback where you went, Shit, we've we've got something here. This is we've got something unique. The first playback, uh, well, the first album that we did, um, we used to do a lot of sessions. Well, I was doing a lot of sessions on the bass um, with uh, Derek Lawrence. He was a good producer. I'm still in touch with him. There, he's a great, great bloke. And he and uh, Big Jim Sullivan started a record company called Retreat Records. Yeah. And we were doing lots of sessions among them was one we did with Labby Sifri that yeah. uh, Eminem sampled. Have you had any money from that yet? No. Right, no. OK. Touchy subject. Yeah, no, well, I didn't even know, you know, I, I was playing the guitar on it on that one. Um, uh, Big Jim Sullivan was the arranger on it, as I remember. He arranged the whole album. Uh, so if any anything, he should have got some money from it. And we, we were just, we're playing a part yeah, yeah. on that. You know, we booked on a session and yeah. Jim would go, oh, Chad, can you play this sort of feel on it and that? Yeah, great. Dave, because once, once uh, me and Dave got together, I'd, people would ring me up and say, you know, I'll do a, a gig on bass, a session. So I don't play bass now, I play piano or guitar. Uh, Dave plays the bass. So I'd row him in on Brilliant. the session. So that's how it worked, yeah. you know. Uh, but yeah, on that particular session, Big Jim Sullivan, um, he would just, you know, Dave, can you play this bit? I think we had um, uh, Ian Wallace on the drums in, great, a great, great drummer. And him and Dave used to work things together, you know, sort of like little bass drum bits uh, and bass, uh, bass together. Um, but, yeah, it, we were playing an arrangement, so it wasn't out of our heads, it was out of Big Jim Sullivan's head, uh, the Eminem and Nick. Yeah. So I didn't really feel that... Jim, that I really deserved any money for it. It was Big Jim Sullivan's yeah, yeah. all his work. So whether he did, he's dead now, poor old Jim. Uh, whether he did get any money for it, I don't know. But um, at your best, right? I think your songs are up there with Ray Davis of the Kinks, in as much as, um, you know, Ray Davis at his peak before he kind of went American. He really captures. Englishness, not Britishness, but Englishness, and I yeah. think that your uh, your best, your songs do that as well. They are, you know, you know partly because of the you know the voice that you're using to sing, but they just describe England and a, and a period of Englishness and an English sensibility. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, and uh, a lot of people sort of 
um, got the wrong end of the stick when we first started. That yeah, I we, bet. That we were going, oh, we think we're the best, you know, London's the best. It was just purely, like I started out saying, I wanted to become myself. Yeah. So, well, I know what he's like because I've heard his songs, you know. I know the sort of bloke, that, the, the, the things that he's interested in and, uh, and how he phrases things because I've heard his songs. So... If I've achieved that, uh, then I've done it right. And so. that wonderful... You mentioned kind of the music hall songs. You've got that marvellous sense of humour as well that I think Ray at his peak has in. Yeah. Things like... Um, what was the one I was listening to? Doesn't anybody around here speak English anymore? That's a brilliant song. Yeah, yeah. It's like, And bollocks. They're brilliant songs and they're really, really funny, yeah. you know, which is tricky to do in a song. Yeah, I funny enough, I, was, I went down to the post office about a week ago and... Uh, walking in there, this kid on the bike, about 11, I suppose, come on, his big, great big tyres on. He went, you're jazzing, yeah? I went, yeah, yeah. He said, oh, he said, I love your songs. I said, what's your favourite one? He went, he said, uh, uh, Rabbit, Margaret and Bollocks. <laughs> I thought, hang on a minute. <laughs> it was dead serious. <laughs> but, uh, no, yeah, it's... Um, uh, don't anyone speak English? See, a lot of people got the, the wrong end of the stick there because of the title. It sort of sounds like it's racist. Yeah, but it ain't. No, no it's not, at all. not at all. It is. What what got got me was uh, when reading um, when like a journalist in the Melody Maker and the Enemy started speaking in you know no way and yeah. uh, it, all these American phrases are coming. You know, we're going to go to the movies, and I thought. No, we got the pictures. We don't go to the movies, and that's that was the reason. When I go, it ain't right here, but it's all right over there. It's yeah. like it's you know, it's great in America because that's how they speak. Yeah. But we, we don't want us speaking. I like still America. say that we're going, boys. We're going to the pictures. Ooh, it's right, yeah. But it is it is one of those lazy things where people hear Cockneys and they hear a title like that and they think, oh, it's going to be, oh, no, yeah, and yeah. it's not. It's a really clever. Yeah you know, critique of, of people, you know, using Americanisms, techno babble and just not speaking English. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's remember what you yeah. used to say. A lot of people forget. Yeah. And funny enough, I mean, everybody says it now. No way. Everybody said, oh, no, there's no chance. That's what we say. Oh, no chance. Yeah. They go, no way. But it's normal, everyday conversation now. But I can remember when it started in the <laughs> 70s. And I, I remember the, the singer in uh, Ed Sands of Feet, uh, he said, Ray Smith keeps saying, no way. You know, oh, yeah, we don't say that, do we? But, yeah, it's gradually crept in, and now everybody says it. What was it like becoming pop stars? Because you were pop stars. You did the Top of the Pops. You had yeah. the hit singles. You did the pop videos. That must have been... That must have been strange. It was strange. It was not as good as uh, everybody else thinks. Yeah, I mean, I top of the pops. I mean, the greatest are, are the gigs. They still are. I mean, um, uh, and anybody who g goes out gigging, I mean, it's like um, Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer, with, you know, I know Vic Reeves pretty well. He started, he's, uh, when he's dealing with TV people, if you've got to deal with them all the time, yeah. that's got to be a drag. I mean, Mark Lamar, he's a mate of mine, and he's not, you know. But when you go out gigging, you're just doing what you want to do, and you've got a crowd that have come to see you. Yeah, You haven't got anybody to say, oh, don't do this one, don't do that, and yeah. just do this. So, uh, yeah. And I forgot your question. What was it like being a pop star? Yeah. <laughs> was, it, yeah. was, it, was it was it was it a weird? It must have been a weird transition from having played music for so long yeah. to getting that um, 
that spotlight on you, you know, that, yeah. that proper famous in the tabloids, on top of the pops, on the telly. Look, it's Chaz and Dave walking down the street. Yeah, um, it wasn't um, it wasn't as good as everybody no. thinks. It, it was quite... I mean, being on top of the pops was quite boring. You'd spend uh, two minutes rehearsing in the afternoon, then they say, oh, we'll see you in three hours' time. Yeah. And uh, luckily, in those days, uh, the, the, all the, the, uh, the roadies and that... I mean, I learned to play poker in the old days. It was a great pastime because <laughs> yeah. yeah, it kept you away from the bar, you know. Yeah, you yeah. saw you playing a bit of poker and you get a coffee and all that. It was a great um, time waster uh, went for, for times like that. But if you didn't play poker, you'd be careful. You, you could be stuck in the bar all the day and by the time the gig come, you know, you, you couldn't do what you're supposed to be doing. But... Yeah, it was it was a necessary evil because yeah. you wanted to plug your album and you wanted to plug your record, but uh, the actual uh, you know I've had to do that all the time. Well, I wouldn't do it all the time, put it that way. You, you're still doing the live gigs in Royal Albert Hall yeah. again soon, isn't it? Is it was it next yeah. year? Um, yeah, it's sold out already. It's sold out nuts? really quick. Yeah, it's fantastic. I mean that. That is great. Um, twentieth of April, we're doing it next year, uh, and we did it for the first time. On our own, did it a few times over the year on other people's yeah. shows, but uh, first time, and, and we sold it out about uh, three years ago, I think. Isn't that funny? And I still remember that feeling uh, when we went on. It was like you're in a big football stadium, you know. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Chaz and Dave, and like just the roar that went up. Yeah. It's just, I mean, I love that, you know. Never, never. One never. of my coolest moments um, for the Teenage Cancer Trust. I got to go on stage at the Royal Albert Hall, yeah. introduce a video about cancer and stuff, which was, you know, was very humbling. Yeah. But then I got to introduce The Who on stage. Yeah, I got yeah. to go, ladies and gentlemen, it's The Who. Yeah. And I was there, you know, where they were. Yeah, but, so but that roar from yeah, that yeah, crowd yeah. Is, yeah. Is, is magical. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll say. I mean, we finished off, we did uh, sort of three sets, really. We did an acoustic set because we had Martin Taylor on our latest album. So we did a bit of an acoustic set. Uh, anyway, we finished the, the first main set off with Gertrude, and at the end of it, they were all on their feet, ready to go. Yeah. And the woman, uh, uh, the stage uh, manager, this woman, she said, "I've been here thirty years. I've never seen a crowd <laughs> do that." Yeah. Uh, and but at the, when we when we went, went on for our main set at the end, they were just all up dancing. I bet. I bet. And had these. Great big like, stewards, you know, sort of. But I remember this great big bloke and this steward, like, they're trying to sit him down, which you can't. Yeah. They just want to dance. And this great big bloke looked at this steward and just held his hands out and, like, what are you going to do? <laughs> I'm going to dance whether you like it or not, mate. And this steward just sort of, like, looked down, shook his head and walked away. They weren't going to cause any trouble. They just wanted to There's dance. There's a lot of affection for you, Chas and Dave. And... Um, I interviewed uh, Francis Rossi a while ago, and uh, uh, there's a lot of affection for the Quo now. And I think you yeah. you had a similar thing that the Quo did, where you got that big pop career and you're, you're on top of the pops, and then for a while, and I think this happens to all bands, happens to the Beach Boys, you sort of become a bit of a joke for a while because you're so familiar yeah, yeah, and so everywhere yeah, that you, yeah. you you become a bit of a joke. And then if you can ride that out like the Beach Boys did, like Status Quo, like you've done, mm. you become. Just, I don't want to say national treasure because I don't no, even I know, know what that means. But you become, yeah. you know, yeah. part of the. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, you, you must be aware of that affection. You must have got a lot of that when you were diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, a lot. And um, I, I, I put the uh, my message to, to how I was getting on. I think every couple of weeks yeah. uh, to let people know. 
uh, and I just you know I want to say thank you. There's loads and loads, thousands of like retweets. I you bet. know, you know, how are you doing? And so Twitter was great because. Uh, in the old days, you know, you'd get letters and you got to answer them, which which I would have done. But Twitter, I could instantly put out there how I'm feeling, yeah. and you know, and like, yeah. yes, it's going good, and yes, I feel good. Uh, so yeah, I mean that that was just a, a great, great warming feeling to know that all those people would uh, just wish me well and and wanted to come and see me on stage again. And we, with with the first one back was uh, Hyde Park three weeks ago four weeks ago uh, on the summer stage there and great great afternoon <laughs> and we have we, we've developed uh, um, I don't know by accident or by someone there up above on all the festivals it doesn't matter what the weather's like in the day as soon as we go on the sun comes out yeah there you and go it, you it has been doing someone's it someone's on your side yeah it did it at Hyde Park and it did it at Jimmy's Farm a couple of weeks yeah. ago but um, apparently on the summer stage uh, the promoter said we got the record crowd ever, <laughs> oh, so brilliant. it was it was brilliant. great. Yeah, it was great to be you, back. Now, banjo, banjo, Lele, what is this? It's a banjo. This is beautiful. My uncle Elf's banjo. Um, he had this all through the war. I've seen old photos of of him playing it with my mum on the piano, and uh, a, a six string. That's unusual. Uh, no, is it a, not? It's a five string. He's got, has he not got six pegs? What's going it has on? got six pegs, yeah, but it hasn't got... I don't know why it's got six oh. pegs. It actually is a five-string, but okay. I've got the, the fifth string sort of moved over because I'm strumming. Yeah, I'm oh, not I actually see, using... Yeah, 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 yeah. The fifth string comes up uh, halfway up the neck there. Yeah. Um, but I'm not using it as a five-string. I use it as a... Go on, give us, give us a little tune. Uh, yeah, what are they... That's Chaz. <laughs> yeah. That's brilliant, man. Brilliant. It's a great sound, isn't it? It's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've done it up about um, when my Uncle Elf died. Uh, my brother acquired the banjo. And, yeah. But he, he he said, You want it? He said, you, he, he, My brother played a little bit in the old days, but he said, You'd make better use of it. So I said, Great. So I did it up. Um, I've got the action going better and put a new bridge on it and put new strings it on it. It sounds incredible, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. I've, I've got it really playing in tune as well right up the octave but it's got that party sound isn't yeah. it straight away it just makes you smile it, it does, just it makes does. you smile you yeah. can't argue with that yeah. sound I remember Albert Lee saying the same thing we, when we was in Los Angeles uh, years ago with Ed Sands of Feet went in the shop and there was a six string banjo there and uh, I think Eric Clapton ended up getting it and he gave it to Dave Dave's still got it but his six string I remember he picked it up and he went brong and he said exactly what you yeah. did he said it's just instant smile yeah. you've got a smile hasn't yeah. you it's and happiness it does yeah it really is I've, I've noticed there's a piano here yeah any chance of getting a song on the, on the piano would that be alright yeah I could do it I, yeah. honestly I'm, I'm loving this give okay. us anything you fancy on All the right. piano okie dokie well this piano is uh Got a bit of a history about it. It's uh, 
my daughter's piano, yeah. a big style. Had it in their house years ago, and uh, cut a long story short, we got it back, and my daughter's now so, got it. Uh, and so you, this was yours years ago? Yeah, I bought this uh, where we used to live in Wearside. I bought this, so what year would have that been? Uh, about 1982 or something like that. Yeah. No, been a little bit late, about 85, I suppose. Then we moved, and uh, where we moved to, it, it couldn't accommodate the uh, the grand piano. Sold it to a friend up north. Uh, then my daughter Kate was. Uh, we were going to get a piano uh, about six months ago. She's a brilliant musician oh, and singer songwriter. Yeah, I've got I mean, some of her CDs. She's great. Could do, could do a whole program at least about what Kate does. Yeah. I mean her songs and uh, the talent that she's got. But this piano, she learnt on. Uh, I'm cutting a long, long story short. I managed to get it back. Um, the bloke I sold it to, it just so happens he, he rang up and he said, I'm moving house, do you want to buy it back? The, the timing was dead right. Isn't that amazing? So we got it back it's in the house. Stunning. Oh, man. Jerry Lewis ones I, I uh, learnt was uh, off his album 1959 first one of the first ones I ever played on the piano I think Hank Williams one Goodbye Joe We gotta go Be on mine Without a fly Hold a beer Roll down the mile My Yvonne Yvonne's Be on mine Son of a gun Gonna have big fun Big guitar, big fruit jar, and gay Son of a gun, we're gonna have a lot of fun. size of the grin on my face that is brilliant <laughs> that is brilliant Chas thank you so much for your time oh, I've also got to thank you as well you're I think 
you are the reason that most people in this country know the order to pot the balls in snooker. Oh, yeah. It's I mean, whenever I'm playing snooker, it's right, pot the red, then screw back for the yellow, green, brown, blue, pink and black. That's the only way I know the order is because well, of that song. Same, same here. I had to look it up. I think my brother-in-law <laughs> told me. Bruce, he's a great snooker player, so he told me the... Uh, the order of them, but uh, yeah, managed to rhyme it as well. <laughs> Chaz, I love you so much, man. And and I, I one of the great joys is because I, you know, I'm friends with your son-in-law, yeah, yeah. Paul. And um, uh, but coming to see, coming to your grandson's uh, birthday party like five or six years ago, and yeah, I brought yeah. my boy, and you were the turn. You were, you know, it was in a church hall, and you were up That's on it. the piano yeah, doing yeah. the music for it. Yeah, which I is well, like, if there's a piano there, I, I, you can't keep me away from it. Oh, mate, thank you so much for your time. Oh, I man. really appreciate yeah, it. Um, yeah. And uh, I'll see you in April at the Royal Albert Hall. Yeah, we're going to do something together. Oh, we? God, shall we? I'm embarrassed yeah. to. I've got my ukulele. You should do. What do you want to do? Whatever you fancy. I'll, I, I'll back you. Oh, God, I don't... I'm not very... I'm nervous and embarrassed. Um, the only thing I can play... I've gone out of tune. Go on. I've got the Beatles song. Yeah, yeah, I've just on. seen a face, which starts with a... What is that, a G, I think? I've just seen a face, I can't forget the time or place where we just met, she's just a girl for me, I want all the world to see we've met, da 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 da, had it been another day I might have looked the other way and I'd have never been a word, as it is I'll dream of her tonight, da da Buddy, that's made my life. Thank you, Chaz. <laughs> Good, a bit high for me, but I think I've managed it in the end. Thank you, mate. Good. Experience the unconventional. Hello. The unpredictable. Don't you think that's a bit weird? And the completely unorthodox. It was my birthday. With rule-free Ian Lee. Uh, I was just trying to generate a bit of content. The late night alternative with Ian Lee. Hate alarm clock. Hate going to work. On Talk Radio. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium.